that as we seek your face you are quick to answer thank you for the power and the presence of your spirit we embrace everything Jesus tonight acknowledging that you O God are the only true and living God thank you Lord Jesus for the incredible sacrifice taken upon our sins and given us your righteousness we embrace you tonight thank you Lord for this final installment of your word in this regard we receive your help we thank you for clarity and understanding in Jesus name please take your seats praise God amen well thank you all for being here tonight last night Friday night traffic is very tough out there but we are here <laughs> and so let's just dive right into the word and so tonight I want to uh, uh, finish what we began since Monday night and so this installment tonight I want to address how to be strong and how to grow in grace how to be strong or how to grow and be strong in grace. So again, just reminding us our focus this week had been we want to understand the gospel of grace from the perspective of making the lifestyle a system of living. Uh, not just a curriculum, not just a doctrine, not just a hearsay, but something that is practical, that works in the church, that works at home, that works at work, that works in our business, Amen. that works across all relationships. That is who God is, that is what Jesus did, and that's what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in and through us today. So for tonight, uh, let me take one scripture, then we're going to go to some PowerPoints. The scripture is coming from uh, John chapter 1, verse 17. Uh, it says, for the law was given through Moses... But grace and truth came through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this scripture helps us, as we begin to wrap up tonight, to understand or to establish the contrast between the law that came through Moses and the grace that we received through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a huge contrast. And so now let me go to the PowerPoint and just quickly go through the contrast. And then we're going to come back again tonight. I want to focus on how to grow and be strong in grace. How to grow and be strong in grace. So the PowerPoint here, we're going to see a contrast between the law and grace. Hallelujah. Here we go. The first slide there says, well, praise God. <laughs> the law of God is the what of God's intention. What? W-H-A-T. The law defines for us the what. What is God after? What's God's intention? What's God's desire? The law establishes that. When you read the law, you get an insight to the heart and the mind of God. The Father God wants us to be holy 
and the fact that he wants us to be perfect. The law reveals to us who God is. The second part of that thing. Thank you. So while the law is the word of God, which we understand that the law cannot make anybody perfect, it reveals to us what God wants, but it does not help you to get there. So grace, on the other hand, the grace of God is the how. How do I get to please this God? How do I get to live up to the expectation that God has of me? Grace supplies that. Number two, number two slide. The law of God reveals sin. It is through the law that we find out that we've come short of the glory of God. It reveals sin. Again, it reveals it but does absolutely nothing to remedy it. Grace, on the other hand, is, okay, so the law of God reveals sin, whereas the grace of God forgives sin. You see the contrast? The law says, you are guilty. Grace says, I've taken care of it. Huge. Huge. And for some reason, religion fights this message. If I, because mind cannot fathom that somebody can do something wrong and you say to them, you did it wrong, I understand it, don't do it again, but you are forgiven. Mind cannot understand that. Because where you and I are, people do things to us, they do things against us, and we hold it against them forever if God does not help you. God is not like that. He said, their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. So the love of God reveals sin, the grace of God forgives sin. Number three slide. The love of God indicates man's problems. Through the love of God, Paul talks about that a lot. He said he did not know about coveting, that's Paul, until he read the law. Okay, so the love of God indicates what man's problem is. However, the grace of God provides God's remedy. So the law tells you where you are coming short, the things you're doing wrong, but God's grace provides a remedy so you don't keep on going back to that place and doing the same thing over and over and over again. Grace empowers you to live above sin. Number four slide, the law of God demands performance by man. You have to perform. That's how the law was set up. You do this, I do that. If you don't do this, I will not do that. Okay? So if you meet certain expectations, I will do certain things. But if you don't, then I won't do certain things. Amen? So the law of God demands performance. It was a performance-based system. However, the grace of God offers provision from God. So instead of me trying to perform to meet a certain standard, Jesus fulfilled all of that fulfill the performance in and for us. And therefore, through what he has perfected in his performance, he makes grace available and provision comes to us from God. Number five slide. The law of God is the standard. The law of God is the standard. You cannot negotiate it. Be holy is be holy. Do not murder is do not murder. That's the standard. 
So the law of God is the standard, but the grace of God is the means. I told you the other night that God's righteous demands have not ceased. It's not stopped. It's just that now you and I are able to meet those righteous, righteous, righteous demands of God's law because of the grace of God. God enables us now by grace to meet or to satisfy those demands. So you can begin to see uh, the fallacy for a man or a woman who chooses to remain under the law. So number six slide. The law of God is the spiritual measuring rod that evaluates lives. So you look at yourself and say, well, I didn't pray one hour this morning. I didn't fast uh, last week. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't pay my tithe and on and on and on. You use the old law measuring standard to measure what you've done. And if and when you fall short, you, con- you feel guilty, you feel condemned. The law of God is the spiritual measuring rod that evaluates life. You feel like you're not worthy. You feel like you've let God down. You feel like you're a disappointment. Why? Because you find yourself coming short often. So while the law of God is the spiritual measuring rod that evaluates lives, the grace of God is the nurturing resource that produces spiritual life. And that's why we're here tonight. So that we can be nurtured by the grace of God. So we can be productive, be fruitful, be victorious. Number seven slide, the law of God tells us of the character of God. The law of God tells us of the character of God. From God's dealing with Israel and for all the things he gave them, you get an insight to who God is, what character uh, what, what the character of God is. So the love of God tells us of the character of God, whereas the grace of God reproduces that character in us. That is a biggie. That is a biggie. The love of God tells me that God is holy, God is perfect, God is love, God is gentle, He's long-suffering, all of those nice things about God. But the grace of God reproduces in all of us who submit to that grace, the very character of God. Amen? Amen. And lastly, the last slide here, in this contrast, the law of God is the effect that God wants to see, whereas the grace of God is the curse, C-A-U-S-E, the curse, that brings forth that effect. Amen. So in those slides, in those slides, we are able to see, we are able to see the contrast between the law and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, having clarified that, having put that aside, let's go to Acts chapter 20 in verse 32. Again, the, the goal tonight is how to, be, how to grow and be strong in grace. How to grow and be strong in grace. Ah, Acts 20 verse 32. So Paul is talking. He says, so now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You know, do you know the reason why this is so important? Everything we've talked about all week, and in particular tonight, 
I do not know any believer, any church, or any pastor that you will ask and say, oh, Pastor Lee, do you believe in the grace of God? Everybody says yes. If you, if you asked me that seven years ago, I said, yes, of course I believe in the grace of God. I don't know any man or woman of God anywhere, whether they're Baptist, Lutheran, Methodist, it doesn't matter. If you ask them that simple question, do you believe on the grace of God? Everybody says yes. Even unbelievers say they believe it. No, seriously. Seriously. So much so, we coined the phrase, say your grace before you eat. That's how commonplace that phrase grace is. But that is the power of the deception that's in it. Because while I would have told you that seven years ago that I believed in the grace of God, I had no idea what I would have been saying. Because I would have just thought that grace is limited to, well, certain times of the day, certain scenarios, certain circumstances, unmerited, undeserved, unfavor. We understand the lingo. The lingo. That's, yeah, we understand that phrase, unmerited, undeserved. But what does it mean? In practical living, what, what did it mean? So we throw around these words, we throw around these phrases of which we really do not know the implication. And I did not realize what the implication was until I started really, really, really diving into the word and really studying the subject matter. And so that's why we are doing what we're doing all week. I don't want you to be presumptuous that because you hear the word gospel of grace that you understand what it means. Or that you understand how it works. Or that you understand how to use the grace of God as a system of living, as a lifestyle. That's what we're talking about here this week. Not just a doctrine that you, you pray, you, have, you say grace when you eat, uh, you, you, you understand uh, God's unmerited favor. What does it mean? In practical reality, Jesus and his finished work is intended to affect every area, every sphere of our lives and existence. Bar nothing. Bar nothing. So now, back to this verse. So now, brethren, I commend you to God until the word of his grace. Now, this is towards the departure of Paul. He's getting to the later part of his ministry here. He perhaps will not see these folks any longer. Think about that. If you are living parting words with your family, or with your friends, or with your company, your last words, what will it be? He could have told them, uh, let me give you seven steps in how to, uh, uh, in prosperity. He didn't say that. He could have told them, let me give you seven steps in how to really, really be successful. He didn't do that. He said, so now, brethren, in other words, after everything I've done and said among you, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Why? Because I'm no longer going to be with you. But one thing I can leave you with that I know we always produce in your life is the word of his grace. Think about that. Why, Paul? Why are you doing this? What is this word of grace supposed to do to me? Which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among 
all those who are sanctified. In other words, Paul is saying, if you can get this right, I read, if you get this right, you're free, you're done. Why? Because this word is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I've traveled to some places whereby from time to time I see uncompleted buildings. Buildings that were started, but they're uncompleted. They're all over, whole, I mean, all over the place. You just see them, no roofs, no windows. You, just, you, you know that someone at some, time, at some time began a building, but they abandoned it. Or some of them are uncompleted, and you can see people managing, trying to live in them. And because of that, they're exposed to elements and certain conditions that is not good. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So the implication here is, please go back to my scripture. So the implication here is, to be built up is not automatic. That's what Paul is saying. So now, brethren, I commend you to the to God and to the word of God, which is able to build you up. Which means if you don't take this word of grace, you may have started the journey, but you may not finish it. Just like those buildings that I mentioned to you earlier are there and uncompleted. Because somebody did not continue in the building. So we see buildings, they were started, but never finished. All, they littered the whole place. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. So the point I'm making here tonight is, yes, we hear the gospel of grace. Yes, we are learning about Jesus' finished work. But I'm telling you, that is not enough. You have to press yourself in, open yourselves to God, and continue to walk in this gospel of grace so that you may be built up. You will not be like those unfinished buildings. The second scripture. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. So being built up is not an automatic process. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Praise God. Thank you. You therefore, my son, again, again, Paul here is writing from the prison. And he recognizes that perhaps he may not see Timothy again, the son that he has raised in the Lord. And in his final communication to him, if you read chapter 1, which I don't have time to go and read, 2 Timothy chapter 1, it reminds him of his uh, faith, it reminds him of his commitment, commitment. it challenges him to be, to be loyal, to be faithful. Uh, let me see if I want to go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Please. Let me start from verse 13. Thank you. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, look at what it says to him. In his encouragement for Timothy, his son, 
Again, this is his last message. Hold fast to the pattern, or rather, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me. In faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Wait a minute now. Why would he need to tell him about sound words? Why did he not just tell him, hold fast the pattern of words? Now, when you guys read scriptures, you need to be critical. You need to, you need to read it with, you need to read it and ask yourself some of these questions. Why does Paul, is he just playing with words when he said sound words? No. No, because in that time already, there were heresies, doctrines that were not sound that's already going around. So he tells Timothy, hold fast to the pattern of sound words that you heard from me in faith and in the love of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and exhorts him. And then by the time we get to 2 Timothy chapter 2 in verse 1, 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1, let me give you guys time to get there because the overhead is not uh, cooperating. In verse 1, Say, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We say that over and over and over, that the grace of God is only found in Jesus Christ. But here again, Paul is challenging his son Timothy to be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. The implication there is the opposite, which means it is possible to be weak in grace. So what makes the difference between a person that is strong in grace and a person that is weak in grace? It's almost like an oxymoron to say you're weak in grace. But, but that's the best English I can. I know how to say what I'm trying to say. The, the point there is, if you are not building yourself up, then the tendency is you are aware of grace, you know about it, but you are not able to enter into the fullness of what it brings. God forbid that we be like Judas. Judas, the disciple of Jesus, who was hanging around the Son of God, grace personified, and he missed the door, he missed the entry. Ah, you guys, I don't think you guys got that. <laughs> Jesus said, I'm the, Lord, I'm the door. I'm the, I mean, he's the, he's the door of life. And yet, Judas was right there at the door, and he missed it. He missed it. He was too familiar with the person of Jesus. He never received the ministry of Jesus. So I'm saying that God help us. That you and I don't get so familiar with the word, we don't understand what the word means and be able to enter into it. One more scripture. 2 Peter chapter 3. So we've seen Acts 20.32 that we should be built up. 2 Timothy 2.1 that we should be strong. Now in 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 18. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 18. It's very interesting to me that each one of these verses were the last things these men spoke. 2 Peter 3.18, but grow 
In the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. Now, it's amazing that Peter would say this. Of all people. This was the Peter that Paul had to correct in Galatia. Because at that time, it was dilly-dallying where, where the grace of God was concerned. But eventually, he came around. And he gave us this passage. By the way, this is the last verse of scripture from Peter. The very last thing he said. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Again, again. The implication again is that it is very possible to be in grace but not grow. I don't want that for anybody here. I don't want us to be all around grace and not grow in grace. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I've seen too many pictures on television of young babies, kids that are malnourished. You've seen those pictures? Where the NGOs are asking for money, for support, so we can buy food, uh, so that they can feed these kids, so that they can grow, so they, 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 they will not be undernourished. They are babies, but they are undernourished. Why are they undernourished? Because they, they are not receiving uh, good, good food, nutrition, food. And so a child that should be 10 years old will look like a three-year-old baby. We see that on TV all the time. So think about that. When Peter says to me and you, grow in grace. We don't want to be like those kids, adults, and yet we have the stamina or the energy of an infant where grace is concerned. That is huge. That is huge. That's why babies, when they are born, I'm, I'm sure most of us know that. Uh, first, the people want to know, how much does he weigh? How much does the baby weigh? Doctors want to know, how much, how much, how much does his baby weigh? And then, and then all the postnatal visits to the doctor at the early stages of the child, when they're growing, they always weigh them. Why? They want to monitor their progress, that they're gaining weight properly, and they're they 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 progressing well. Why? Because if something's, if they're not growing like they should, then there will have to be an intermediary uh, recourse to correct that situation. Amen? Amen? Now, the question now tonight is, like I said to you tonight, I want to address how to grow and be strong in grace. How do we grow? How do we become strong? Peter answers that question for us very beautifully. First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, verse, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, lay aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Aha. As newborn babes, we just use their illustration, desire the pure milk of the word. Why? That you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Ka. Go back to that verse 2 for me again. One more time. That verse 2. Look at what Peter said. It's amazing for me how all, each one of these guys qualified the word. Paul said sound words, which means there are some words that are not sound. 
All you have to do is turn on the TV and radio. You, you hear words that are not sound. Here Peter says, desire what? The pure milk. Implication. There are milk out there that is not pure. What happens when you drink milk that's not pure? Your stomach will run. You literally sleep in the, in the restroom all night. Amen. But Paul says, Peter says, don't just get milk. Pure milk. Why? That you may grow thereby. The only way you grow, you, you receive the pure milk of the word of God. And then he qualifies it in verse 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Is there anybody here tonight that has any doubt that God is gracious? No. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, let's begin to really now move on. So how do I now become strong? How am I built up in grace? Let's now go in the Amplified Translation to the Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. This is very, very, very critical now. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Amplified, if you got it. Thank you, ma'am. Study and be eager and do your utmost to present yourself to God approved. Tested by trial. We're not going to just approve it just because you say you're approved. We're going to take you through the fire. <laughs> we want to find out if, if, if what you're wearing is real gold. The only way to find out is passing through the fire. If it comes out, it's not melted. Your, your skin is not dark. We know it's gold. <laughs> okay, let me leave that one alone. <laughs> now look at the next sentence. A workman who has no cause to be ashamed correctly analyzing and accurately dividing, which means rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. Whoa, that is a lot. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you, this is where we have a problem in the body of Christ. That verse of scripture right there. That's it. It's not just a matter of reading the scriptures. You, you must understand certain things about, about oh, oh, don't let me get ahead of myself. Okay, let me just, let me just deal with this right now. Amen. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for Ari for that. Amen. <laughs> now, notice what it says. Present yourself to God approved like a workman who has no cause to be ashamed. I don't know about you guys, but I've, I've, I've given, my wife and I have given fabrics to some tailors to sew for us. With eager, we are eager. Oh man, we have we have a we have a function. We're going to wear this outfit for. We are dreaming about it. Oh man, I can't wait for that thing to get here. <laughs> we anticipate this fabric, man. We, we, I mean, this is going to be this is going to be nice. We're going to launch it. <laughs> Finally, Moji, the fabric arrives, being sewn by the tailor. One sleeve is like this, the other one is here. The buttons is all twisted around. That workman that saw that needs to be ashamed. 
Or you bring a repairman to your house to fix something. By the time they get through fixing it, the situation is worse than it was before they came. That workman needs to be ashamed. So God is saying to you and I, when it comes to the approach of the study of the word of God, we should approach it with a mindset like a workman that can guarantee and say, yes, I did this work. I stand behind it. I'm not ashamed of it. Take it anywhere, it will stand. A workman that needs not to be ashamed. Jesus was a carpenter. As a carpenter, do you imagine that Jesus made a table that when you put plates on it, the table fell down and just broke to pieces? Or do you imagine he made a chair that you sat on it, everybody fell down the ground? Or perhaps the furniture he made had to be the best that could have been made in his time. A workman that needs not to be ashamed. That's what God is calling you and I to be. How do we become that workman that needs not to be ashamed? We have to correctly analyze and accurately divide, which means we have to rightly handle and skillfully teach. It's not these shotgun lessons you are hearing on TV and radio every day. No, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. It has to be correctly analyzed and accurately divided. Most of what you and I have heard and are hearing are nothing but mixtures. You guys of this computer age, you will understand cut and paste. You take from here, you take from here, you paste it together, you put it there and say, this is it. And we cause nothing but confusion because we've not accurately, correctly analyzed what we put out there. Folks, you can make the Bible say anything. I hope you understand that. If somebody is trying to commit suicide, and they need your biblical endorsement, you can just tell them, what do you want to do? Go and do it quickly. <laughs> and give it, let the word of God be confirmed in, two of, in the matter of two or three witnesses, and say, Judas went and hung himself. You add that to it. You have your Bible. Now, of course, that's a, that's a far stretch. Just to help you understand how much we can. I mean, look, look, look at this debate that's going on now with, with sexuality. And people are finding scriptures. One from here, one from there, they put it together and say, This is what it says. Why? Because they're not correctly analyzing and accurately dividing. Can I submit to you tonight that the Bible is put together like some of these modern movies? What do I mean by that? I don't know if you watch some of these new episodes or modern movies where they start at a scene and then all of a sudden they go back 10 years earlier. You seen that? And it has a little thing say 10 years before or 10 years earlier. Well, if you miss the 10 years earlier, if you just miss that, if you just miss that caption that tells you this scene is 10 years earlier, you miss the whole movie. Because you'll be wondering, well, this doesn't make any sense. What are they doing? 
I'm back and forth. In the, I always ask, ask, my, ask my wife, is this, is this now or before? What? I, mean, I, I always, I, I can't watch a movie by myself. I, I have to have an interpreter. <laughs> I have to get translation. I said, and they say, oh no, that was that was five years ago. I said, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Seriously, unfortunately. I wish they would tell us that in the Bible that these things are not chronology. But that's why the correctly analyzing and accurately dividing comes from. Because you're just reading and you think this is you are reading are in sequence. Absolutely not. The inspiration came from God, but man put it together. If you don't understand that, you will never be able to comprehend the message of the Bible. You have to understand that. Ah, okay, while I'm on that, let me just go there. I'm on there, I'm already there. You look at your Bible. Genesis to Malachi, they call it Old Testament. Is that correct? And in Matthew to Revelation, they call it New Testament. Is that correct? Wrong. Wrong. R-W-R-O-N-G. Wrong. Wrong. Basic things that if you don't take the time to talk, you, you, you just be confused. That's where the confusion comes when they said, well, Jesus said it. It's in red. Yes, he said it. And yes, it's in red. But everything he said, 99% of it was the Old Testament. The New Testament did not begin until Resurrection Day. So by taking things you see in red, if you don't forgive, your father will not forgive you. Immediately you are leaving the Old Testament. Now, we are talking about how to grow and be strong in grace. You are not going to grow and be strong in grace using the Old Testament method. This is a new day. You have to understand the distinction. And it's not difficult if you just pay attention to the scriptures. Okay, let, let me go to the scripture quickly. I didn't plan to do this. Luke 22, verse 20. Luke twenty two twenty. 20. Let, let, let's see what Jesus said. Luke 22, verse 20. Likewise... He also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So, right there, it's telling you, new covenant does not start on the Jesus' blood. He told you. Very clear. I'm not making it up. New Testament. What is a testament? A will. A will. Hebrews tells us. Ah, God help me find that scripture. I think Hebrews chapter 8. Let me find it quickly. I didn't plan to say this or do this. Huh? Hebrews chapter 8. Uh, what's the... No, no, no. Is it chapter 9? Yes. 
chapter 9, verse 16. Hebrews 9, 16. Watch this. For where there is a testament or a will or a covenant, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. So if Jesus did not die, there's no, there's no, new, there's no new covenant. No. Give me verse. Next verse, verse 17. Aha. See this? In my village, they say, Koro, Koro, look at this. Plain, plain. Plain, plain. Translation, plain, plain. For a testament is in force after men are dead. Since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Do we need to argue anymore? There can be no New Testament until Jesus went to the grave and rose from the dead. So when you are reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are great historical accounts of the life of Jesus. And they are not useless. Absolutely not. There are things to learn and to glean from the life of Jesus. Yes, absolutely. But you cannot just bring those scriptures into application in 2019 just because it was written in red. You have to now take those scriptures, pass them through the filter of the cross, and see what the epistles have to say about it. That is the current application. Okay, by the way, everything I'm saying from Monday till now, if you have any questions, you can write it down, send it to the <laughs> WhatsApp uh, number. We'll deal with them on Sunday. Let me just throw that out now because I can see some of your head just do, going like this. No. But the scriptures are there. I'm not making it up. This is why. So, so, the, so the epistles, through the power of the Holy Spirit, now help us to understand everything Jesus said in the light of where we are now. Jesus himself said it in John chapter 16, verse 12. He said, there are many things I want to say to you, but you are not able to bear them. You are not able. You don't have the bandwidth, the capacity to understand all the other things I would like to teach you. Just take what I've said for right now, but when the Holy Ghost comes, he will show you all things. He will lead you. He will guide you. He will teach you. Are are you following me? Are Are you hearing what I'm saying? Huge. So the Old Testament demarcation and the New Testament demarcation of the Bible, thank God for the people that did this. Thank God for them. Thank God for them. They tried. They did what they could with what they had. But it behooves you and I with the revelation that we have now not to know the difference. Yeah. Our forefathers rose on horse buggies. Are we, going to, are we going to criticize them now they didn't ride in Lincoln, Lincoln Continental? No. Horse buggies at that time was valuable. It was important. That's what they had. They used it. They were effective. We thank God for that. But how ridiculous will it be, will it be for you and I not to be riding a horse buggy when you can drive a regular car? You don't get stuck where you used to be. 
you move and you grow with what God is doing, the revelation that God is bringing to the church. Amen. Another thing about the scriptures that we need to understand while I'm on here, even the epistles, now this is important. When you go to the epistles, the Pauline writings, for instance, the first Pauline writing that we have here is Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and so on and so on. Well, you need to understand that's not the sequence in which it was given. No. During the Greek Roman era, literature was arranged in the order of decreasing length. So, Romans is the largest of the volumes, it came first. So, 1 Corinthians is the second largest, it came next. 2 Corinthians is the largest, and, it, and in that order. But that was not the order in which the inspiration or the writing was given. No. The first Pauline epistle that was ever written is the book of Galatians. Yeah. And he came out shooting. Double barrel gun. Not works, but grace. That's a lesson for another day. Let me leave that alone because I need to move on. But I'm just sharing that with you so you understand that there is a lot more to what we carry and we just should not be babbling our mouth without correctly analyzing and rightly, skillfully dividing the word of truth. It is so common. I did it for years. Cut and paste, gave a good message. The organ will play. Oh, Lord. I heard the I can still do it. I heard the Bible say, Oh, Lord. You learn those things, don't forget them. If my people, huh, which are called by my name, huh, shall humble themselves huh, and call up my name, of course. And the crowd will be aroused. Hey, preacher, preacher. And the enemy will be waiting for them at the door. Buzzer. Yeah. <laughs> so when you understand how to correctly analyze and skillfully divide, certain things become very obvious. Certain arguments dissipate. We don't argue about them any longer. Uh, the issue of, for instance, forgiveness. Jesus said, if you don't forgive, you'll not be forgiven. He was speaking under the law. That was the law in the day he was speaking. But since the law, since, I mean, rather, since we are in grace, that's no longer in fault. No. He still wants you to forgive. Forgiveness is always needful. He wants us to forgive, yes. But, but, but the issue of forgiveness is no longer a contingency. It's not going to say, well, if you don't forgive, you'll not be forgiven. No, because now forgiving is not, forgiveness is now given through and because of the blood of Jesus. End of story. I don't have to earn forgiveness Forgiveness is given. But if I don't understand that because I've been in churches where preachers were, they were actually almost in fisticuff over this issue. Yeah. In Maryland, in two, two years ago. Yeah, it happened. Yeah. Because somebody preached a message, they asked a question, and he answered it. He said, No, that's not true. Jesus said it is in red. If you don't forgive, you'll not be forgiven. 
And the guy was trying to tell him, but now Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 432, because you've been forgiven, and you should forgive. He said, oh, that's the problem with you great preachers. You exalt Paul more than Jesus. That was his argument. Very foolish thing to say. Because where did Paul get the revelation? Galatians about chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Paul says, Jesus gave it to him. And Jesus already told us, there are a lot of things I have to say to you, you will not understand. Lack of knowledge. People are destroyed for it. Okay, let's, let's move quickly. Let's move quickly. So what are the implications? You must understand that all the Bible is written for us, but not all is written to us. You must understand that all the Bible is written for us, but all of it is not written to us. Now, that sounds like a, a contradiction. What do you mean it's written for us, not written to us? Okay, written, written for us. We see there, uh, it says, uh, what, what, it says, okay, for instance, it says, if your eyes offend you, pluck it out. How many people pluck, is going to pluck their eyes out tonight? Nobody. Why are you not obeying that? If your hand offends you, cut it off. It's in the Bible. Nobody seems to be obeying that. I don't understand why you guys are so disobedient. <laughs> yeah. We understand that those things are written for us, but not to us. Nobody's bringing turtle doves to church. I didn't see anybody bring a ram last Sunday. Where are the rams and the bullocks and the goats? For some reason, we selectively take some things and say, no, we shouldn't do them any longer. What's the reason for, what's the criteria for that choice? No, the Bible is written for us, for our learning. We read that last night, Romans 15, 4. But all of it is not written to us. We have to be very careful. It's like being in the house. Perhaps my wife is on the phone. I can hear what she's saying, but I don't know what the other person on the other end is saying to her. I'm just hearing what she's saying in response. But I don't know the question or what is being said to her. I cannot leave the place and say, I, heard, I, I understand the conversation. No, I don't. I only heard one side. That's what happens when we read scriptures and put them out of context. There is nothing more important than understanding scriptures in the correct context. Very, very important. Okay, now, so what are the implications as we close? Number one, as you continue to grow in grace, your praying life will be affected. Your praying life will be affected. If you just understood what I said earlier about the Old Testament and New Testament, if, you just, if that's all you understand, immediately many of us will not know what, we, we can't pray any longer. Because 90% of our prayer time is spent in saying things that God has already moved beyond. That is huge. And there's no way in this time left that I can address that adequately. But I'm just saying to you, if we're going to be effective to grow and be strong in grace, we need to start learning to pray the prayers from the epistles. The prayers from the epistles. We read the scripture the other night, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5, where it says, Cursed is the man 
who trust in man, whose hope man is, or the, and the Bible goes on to say, the, the arm of the flesh is, is going to avail to nothing. But then he says something in that verse that's very powerful. I think verse 5 or 6, where it says, he will not see when good comes. A man that depends on his own performance or his own resources will not see when good comes. What's the implication? In the New Testament, good is already here. The problem is not that there's no good. Good, God has done, is, is done good things for us. The problem is I don't know where he is. I don't see it. So the prayer of the New Testament should be say, God, open my eyes. Amen. Let me see your provision. Let me see your favor. Let me see your blessing. It's, I know it's there. Just open my eyes. That's it. That's why Paul prayed that prayer. That the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. God is not Amazon. He's not trying to ship something to your house tonight. No. He doesn't use FedEx or DHL. The goods are already made. They are are installed. They are are waiting for you already. But the problem is we don't know where they are. We don't know how to access it. Why? Because we cannot see spiritually. So God says, open my eyes that I may see. The story in Elijah and his servant. You remember that story? The servant saw all the people that came to attack them, very fretty, very, 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 very scared. Oh, my master, master, we're going to be in trouble. But, oh, chill, oh, chill. I said, God, open this boy's eyes. Let, let, let him see what's happening. And God opened his eyes. Whoa, we have all these around us. That's our problem. Eyes have not seen. Ears have not heard. Neither has it entered into the house of men. The things that God has prepared, past tense. God is not in a farm trying to prepare food for you now. No, it's prepared, pastors. The things he has prepared for them that love him. But they are revealed to us by his spirit. The Holy Ghost is the administrator of the grace of God. So it will impact your prayer life. Number two, it will impact your praising life. That's why over the last couple of years now, we've been very, very... What shall I say, Diola? How shall I say it? We've been very selective in the kind of songs that we, we use in church. Because what happens is you are teaching a grace-based life, but you are singing songs of unbelief. Anointing fall on me. Anointing The Holy Ghost said, are you, are you crazy? I've been here. 2,000 years ago I came. I've been here for 2,000 years. Where am I falling to? He fell on the day of Pentecost. Now, I'll be confessed to you, some of those songs are very sweet. Very, very sweet. Some of them, I love them so much. They are very sweet. When this message began to come, I began to, to, to struggle, resist it. Oh, come on. In the days of Ezekiel. Remember that song? Can you sing it for me? In the days of Elijah. I love it. I used to dance and sweat. But think about that. Why in the world, in the day of Jesus, will I want to go back to Elijah? Do, do you see what, do you see, this is what I'm saying? Elijah was a man that was confronted by Je- Jezebel. Iran! Iran! Jezebel, a woman, confronted the prophet. The man so now I want to go back to the days of Elijah. And every time I see a woman that's strong, I start running. No! 
I need to begin to feed my spirit with the songs that confirm and nurture the grace of God in my life. That I'm loved, I'm chosen, I'm adopted, I'm healed, I'm saved, I'm perfected. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And likewise, unbelief comes by hearing and hearing by the words of the flesh. Jesus said it right. In the book of Mark chapter 4, 24. Mark 4, 24. Let's just go there quickly. Mark 4, 24. Then he said to them, Take heed what you hear. Please, don't put me in a church environment where you're going to feed me with law, flesh, and unbelief. No. Not anymore. Take heed what you hear. Then there's another scripture. Luke 8.18. Luke 8.18. So it says, take heed what you hear. Then Luke 8.18 says, take heed how you hear. Very critical. Very critical. And so this brings me to this final point. You have to be discerning in what you are listening to. You cannot expose yourself to every and any preacher. I'm sorry. You can't. And like I just told you, some of those preachers sound good. I enjoy some of them myself. But I'm matured enough to hear some things and say, oh, nope, that's not right. Oh, nope, that's not right. But if you are not there and you just expose yourself to all these things, you take them all in and you are going to be confused. No. Please, I'm not, I'm not, please, you guys know I'm, I'm a very simple person, but I'm going to tell you, most of what you hear on TV and radio is absolute, complete junk. Absolute complete junk. Men and women that's cutting and pasting. They pull it from here, they pull it from there, put it together, and they do like what I used to do, begin to hoop. Oh Lord. The Bible say. Yeah. And you are wondering why nothing is happening. You are wondering why you're not making any progress. Why? You are receiving mixtures. And God has already promised mixtures will not grow. You can't. You can't expose yourself to just anything. I can tell you, and this is just worldwide, actually. This is not just United States. Worldwide. Yeah. I can tell you the, the, the messages I can listen to, I can count it on one, this one hand. Yeah. Listen. Listen. I've been here about 25 years now, and I'm telling you, I'm confessing to you that for 20 of those 25 years, I was a mixture. I was the king of mistress. Yeah. Until God opened my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fact. I mean, for instance, what I just told you, Old and New Testament. What you just heard, like, that, that simple statement, you, you, you don't know how many preachers don't understand the distinction. That would think Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John 
is New Testament. When the Bible clearly says there cannot be a New Testament or a Testament unless there's a death. I didn't make it up. I showed you the scripture. Yeah, mixtures. Mixtures. So I want, to, I, want, I, want, I want to challenge you. Begin to hear accurately and begin, like what Jesus said, take heed what you are hearing. Don't just submit your ear to any junk. It's like somebody says, listen, this is my, shoot me with uh, AIDS. You know AIDS is going around, just give me, just put AIDS in there, just shoot me. That's what you're doing. When you yield yourself to just anything out there because they call it gospel. What gospel? What gospel? No. I don't listen to just anything. And they'll tell you, the person worshiped him, the other will tell you, if I hear a song and I just say a lyric that, that slightly unbelief, hey, halt it! No, because, because we, there, must be, there must be synergy. What we're preaching, what we're singing, what we're praying, and that's why we're changing the praying format. That's why you see our new folks praying now because we want to, we want to empower as many people as possible to pray in the, in the right way. And that's why some of these places where prayer is taking place, nothing's happening. Listen, we are not going to get New Testament result if we don't use New Testament method. It's not going to happen. So, because you're here tonight, I have a gift for you. A gift. There are three devotionals out there. I'm done now. I'm done. I know I went a little beyond time. I'm done. Three good devotionals out there that will help you to grow you in the gospel of grace, Jesus' finished work. Three. The first one, Andrew Womack. You are aware of that already, Dr. Norfolk. Andrew Womack has a devotion. It's good. The second one, by Joseph Prince. It's also good. But you know, so with everything, there's good, better, best, right? Good, better, best. The best one that I found, the best one, I have the Andrew Womack, I have Joseph Prince, but the best one I found, right there, Day by day by grace. You get it electronically on Kindle. I bought mine for $9.99. Dale got his for $8.99. I guess he had more grace that money than I did. <laughs> you have it on your mobile device. Very simple, but some of the things I'm sharing with you tonight, it's so, I mean, you, you just take it up. Just, just, just read it, meditate on it. Yeah. And sometimes I read it in the morning and throughout the day I go back two or three more times and just, read it, just refresh myself again. Very simple. But it's day by day by grace. That's the only way you're going to grow. You nurture yourself, you expose yourself, and in time you'll be built and you'll be strong in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm done.